let's start off in prayer. Father, I want to thank you actually for the rainy weather. Um, maybe it is uh, my Scottish blood in me, but I just love the the cool, wet days when um, when it's just nice to be inside and uh, and particularly be inside studying your word and uh, learning about uh, the glory uh, of your creation and and uh, the blessing of the Holy Spirit. So, Father, I pray that you would just uh, anoint me, speak through me today. I pray that I would speak with clarity and understanding, and I pray that you would give us as a class understanding as we seek your truth uh, from your word. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so what we are doing today is doing a quick review of, uh, of some of the issues of indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know we went over this before. Actually, I was teaching another class the day that we did that. Um, but uh, Alan and I were talking, and he was a little bit concerned that we had moved way too quickly through this. So we're going to go back through, and because this is a review, this is a really good time to bring up anything that might have come up before that might have been confusing. Um, and so Alan's actually here, too, so he can pipe up and let me know what we might have missed that I didn't know we missed. So let's begin. We're going to be looking first at indwelling. Um, indwelling is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in which he indwells the believer. You like that? We put the same word in there. Indwells the believer in order to comfort, guide, and empower the believer for service. Indwelling. Now, well, let's look up a couple of these verses. Could I first have somebody look up John 14:20? Yeah, Juliet. And um, let's do 1 Corinthians 2:12. Another one for 2:12. 1 Corinthians 2:12. Yes. And can you also do 6.19? Okay, and uh, let's get somebody to do Ephesians 3.16. We won't have to necessarily go through all of these. All right, thanks, Pam. All right, where's my John 14.20? Go for it. And I am in you. This is good news. Um, what is that in that day? Do you care to read just a couple of verses before that so that we can have the context clearly? Okay. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by the Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Mm-hmm. Interesting that we get right into uh, he who loves me will be loved by the Father. Get a little bit into this thing about um, behavior. I would say a little bit into lordship salvation issues, just a little bit. But anyway, indwelling of the Spirit, it happens when? We talked about this before. When does the indwelling begin? As soon as you accept Christ. This is somebody visiting the class and they answered, What are you all doing to me here? <laughs> All right, um, so could I have somebody read us the uh, 1 Corinthians 2.12 passage? Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. What does this say about the indwelling of the spirit? Because it gives us a, a so that statement. It says we've been given the spirit so that we might... No. Okay, that tells us something about the role of the Holy Spirit in indwelling us. 
we've already kind of said it. What is that thing? You guys are killing me. Um, Could we read the passage again? Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So why, what, what, is, what does this say then about the indwelling of the Spirit? What happens? He teaches, we, we know things. So the indwelling is directly uh, part of um, knowledge. Um, this is important. Any other thoughts on that before we move on? Well, if you go up in context to the previous verse, it'll explain it. I know, I like that. You wanna read, do you want to read that previous verse then too? Yeah, um, no, the um, 1 Corinthians 2.11. Yeah. Um, but God has revealed them to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what, for what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Mm-hmm. Yes? I don't know if this is the same. It sounds like something I tell my kids. Um, I tell my kids that if somebody doesn't have God, they can't see him. But once you have God, you see him working in everything. You see how this works, you know, how... You see him in the, you know, nature and stuff like that, but you also see how, okay, well, this happens, and then later on you can see why that happens, what God is trying to do in it. I would say that makes sense. Um, you receive knowledge that you cannot receive in any other way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely right. Which we talked a little bit about this when we were talking about uh, illumination and revelation and how the Holy Spirit makes things... It's like he opens our eyes. We we talked about, uh, I don't think I read the exact quote, but Rudolf Bultmann, the uh, liberal theologian who does this, did this whole exegesis of the book of Romans, this wonderful passage, and it was very well done in many people's opinions. And he got done, he says, but I don't believe any of it, um, which is just really amazing. There was a sense in which he could he could read it, he could have a certain understanding, but he just couldn't get it. Um, pretty interesting. Um, was there another, uh, what was the other passage? Uh, two, or I'm sorry, 619. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought with a price? Mm-hmm. All these passages are essentially getting to the basic thing that, hey, the Spirit is in you. Um, could I have somebody read our Ephesians 316, Pam? Spirit in your inner being. It's good. Any questions or thoughts on the indwelling? Talk about him uh, giving some knowledge. And here we mentioned comforting, guiding, and empowering. Um, we're going to talk more about those later. But essentially, the verses we looked at essentially say, ah, he does indwell. Scripture passage or scripture backs it up. Any other thoughts on that? Or are we ready to move forward? That's good. Yeah, definitely not the spirit of the world, which that's important, especially in the sanctification that we talked about. Maybe yeah. The question people might have is, um, how is this different than the Old Testament? Because um, some people think, well, in the Old Testament, they didn't have the Holy Spirit. They did have the Holy Spirit, but the ministry of the Spirit was different 
in the Old Testament. He would come upon people for certain things like Samson and David, um, things like that. But there was not a permanent indwelling of the believer, of all believers in the Old Testament. That's something new in the new covenant that we have. Um, and it's something I think a lot of us take for granted. We don't really realize the rich richness having the Spirit in us, always with us. And, you know, like Ephesians 3.16 says, no matter what you do, no matter where you're at, you've got God right there with you doing whatever it is you're doing and saying whatever it is you're saying. And that should have an impact on our, our actions. I have a question, too. Um, one thing, when you read how God was excited about the change that was coming when he said there's going to be a change and your law, the law is going to be written on your heart, and he was excited about having this new thing come about where each of us were going to have the Holy Spirit, and we didn't have that before in the Old Testament. But my question is, what's going to happen, do you guys think, after we're glorified, you know, the Spirit stay with each individual believer? Because there's going to be a lot of us there, that one-on-one contact that we have with God. Because, yeah, because we have it here with Him all the time, yeah, but we we'll have it within there. It doesn't seem to be an involvement because in Revelation it says the Spirit and the Bride say come. You look at the end of Revelation, so it looks like the Spirit and the Bride are distinct. You know, you don't have the Spirit and the dwelling, but we will have a knowledge and an understanding and a relationship with the Holy Spirit in a glorified state. But we won't have the dwelling because we're going to be perfect. Yeah. We're not going to have any sin. Or that fellowship that we had with, with Him now. That we oh, it's going to be wonderful then. Yeah. It's going to be beyond our understanding. Because one thing, uh, right now we have the Holy Spirit in us sanctifying us. Once our bodies have been glorified, you don't really need the continual sanctification process. You've already kind of... Well, there's what about a, that fellowship that we have with them one-on-one? You know? How do that's, that's where it gets so much... That's the reason why we need Him in us for that fellowship is because we still have a sin nature. We're being sanctified and... Oh, and, and, you know, our debt's been paid and all that kind of stuff. But remember, it was the sin that was keeping it from happening between, I mean, Adam and Eve did not have the indwelling of the Spirit, but they had a very intimate relationship with God. And so, you know, we're, we're fixing the effects of sin. At glorification, it's like the, the consummation of, of that sanctification process. It's, boom, you are, you're done. And so then you can have that relationship because there's no sin barriers at all. Um, so I would say it's, even more intimate, yeah. the relationship there. So, yeah. Yeah. Could be that maybe, um, and I'm just thinking off the top of my head, that um, Adam and Eve didn't have the indwelling of the Spirit because they had that, they didn't need it because they had that intimate relationship with God. That's the ones who glorified the ones who will again have that intimate relationship with God through all means. You know? that, that's what I would say. Any thoughts, Alan? I, would, I mean, that's. Yeah, I mean, the fellowship in heaven, I mean, think about it. We, we're going to relate to God like I said, going to talk to you. You're going to be able to talk to God. He's going to dwell among these people and be with them. There's no altar in, in the eternal state. There's no tabernacle in the eternal state. There's no, there's nothing between you and God. It's going to be full, um, unhindered fellowship for eternity. There's not going to be anything in you that you're going to be ashamed about because you're going to be perfect. And, and the fellowship is going to be beyond our understanding. The depth and richness of that will be something we, we can't even think about now. It's good stuff. So is it the fellowship of the Godhead, though? All of them. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> All of them. I like that. I mean, look at the end of Revelation. It says the Spirit and the Bride say, come. That was, mm-hmm. 
say that there's some relationship between the spirit and the bride. <coughs> the fellowship, of course, there's good fellowship with God and with Christ. And that's, that's beyond my ability to think. You know, people to talk to Christ. Yeah. That's going to be, yeah. It's going to be nice. Any other thoughts it there? All right. Filling. Uh, it says the act whereby the Holy Spirit guides the believer moment by moment. We're going to go to passages. Some, uh, let me make uh, some clarity here. A lot of uh, conversation comes up about the difference between indwelling and filling. And I think this is a point of confusion for some. We probably covered that, right? But we might talk about that a little bit more. Um, let's look at Acts 2.4. Could I get somebody to read that for me? Okay. And then somebody to take Ephesians 5.18. Yes. All right. Let's, let's, let's listen to Acts 2.4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other um, tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Cool. All of them filled with the Holy Spirit, and then, at least in this passage, we see some kind of evidence of tongues there. Which, by the way, just because it happened that way that one time doesn't mean that it's going to happen that way every time. All right, let's look at Ephesians 5.18. And do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Who is he speaking to when he's saying, be filled with the Holy Spirit? Speaking to believers. That's interesting. So someone who is already a believer, who we would say is indwelled by the Spirit, he's, being, he's telling them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Which gives me pretty good evidence that they are two different things. Right? Yes? Well, I, I'm thinking that um, even though you may have something doesn't mean it's full. It's like you take a glass and you can put some water in that glass and dwelling in that glass, but you have to finish filling it up in order to have a full glass. Okay. Um, but, and I'm thinking that by being filled with the Holy Spirit, we're seeking His guidance more and more. We're studying His Word and through His Word and through the Holy Spirit indwelling in us, we get the fullness and of Understanding uh, other things of what God's character is, of what He's wanting to do in our life, um, we can be as well. But are we letting them work? Okay. No. This is a good point. Alan had something to say. One of the, one of the things you have to be careful of: you don't get the spirit by nature. It's not like when you've got twenty-five percent of the spirit, he's got thirty percent. The other's got fifty. I'm, yeah, I'm just um, Well, 
Uh, one thing I think we could be getting hung up on a little bit is the analogy, because everything you were yeah, saying was like, you got him. Yeah. I'm just saying, we're not, we're not getting the full nourishment of God. Yeah. Full, Which, if we're not allowing that to happen. And that's where I wanted to bring back this idea we, we talked about, and I know I've used this analogy a lot, um, but my professor, Dr. Morrison, talked about having a piece of pizza as long as your arm, and that was like getting the Holy Spirit, and you have all of him. You've got him. But that process of, of taking him in, you kind of have the choice. I mean, you have him. You have the choice of how much you're going to allow him to have his way, just like you have the choice of how much of the pizza you're going to eat. Um, maybe not the best analogy, but um, yeah. This is true. This is true. Any thoughts before we move on? Is it making sense? The difference between filling and indwelling? Indwelling means you have him. Filling means you're essentially ha- allowing him to have his way. Um, so, I'm sorry. That's all right. Um, I was just wondering if you know, you're, you're subjugating your will to the Spirit, and you, know, you say you're doing that, but how do you know, say, moment to moment, which is the... I'm sorry, which is the leading of the Holy Spirit? Sorry, I had a... I'm sorry. My brain froze for a second. And um, which is the, the, the not leading of the Spirit? You know what? It's interesting that we bring this up. Um, because there is this... Um, correct me if I'm answering it. You're, you're asking in a decision, and it's like, is the Holy Spirit leading me to this, or is something else leading me to this? Um, I, would, I would guess you're talking about a decision that is not necessarily ethical. Are you talking about an ethical decision, or are you just talking about a decision? Like, you, what college to go to, or well, what, it could be that, or who to marry, or you know? Here, 
and it's not just you talking to yourself in your head. Well, <laughs> let, me, let me draw some attention on a couple of things. First of all, um, the, we talked about how the Holy Spirit illuminates Scripture. He reminds us of things. And if it's, if it's something that's spoken of clear in Scripture, he's going to make that clear. And Hopefully, you have been approaching Scripture so that when something comes up, if it affects some biblical teaching or principle, which, by the way, I think when possible... Well, really, there are some things with Scripture just kind of you see God's people doing something and it works. It's not necessarily says you have to do this. It's just kind of like, oh, well, that, that seemed to work out very well. When possible, we should try to apply those principles. And I believe the Holy Spirit uh, reminds us of biblical truth, biblical principle uh, in certain decisions. The fact is, if we are operating in the Spirit, I mean, if we're doing His will, uh, then if there's something we want to do, um, and it's not counter to anything, then then it's cool. And I think I think we get caught up too much on this, like, does God want me to go to Liberty University or Cedarville? And if you ask me, I'd just say, well, He wants you to go to Liberty. <laughs> but um, but but here, here's the thing: if if you can look at the decision and say, you know what, I really don't like. It's not for selfish reasons that I want to go to Cedarville. It's not for selfish reasons that I want to. I believe that. Um, I mean, I'm. I'm, I'm pretty much in the sovereignty of God, and I believe you're going to make the decision, and as long as you are doing it out of the right motives, you can go, eh, pick the one you want. I really, I don't have a problem with that. Um, I think somebody over here had their hand up first. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, there's a, there's a trust issue here. You know, you, you pray about something, you make the best decision you know how to make, and then you trust the rest of God. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and Proverbs says, um, man makes his plans, but the Lord directs his steps. Which doesn't say that there's a problem in making the plans. It just gives this idea that he's in control of that process. That the Lord, um, hold on. A man makes his plans or lays out his plans, but the Lord directs his steps. Yeah, that that you're okay. Yeah, but that means he's still he's still directing your path. But I think we we worry way too much about quenching the spirit on decisions that he's just kind of left open. Like it's not a moral decision. It's not breaking any kind of his principle. It's not hindering some type of of wisdom. Like there are decisions that might not be immoral, but they might be. Uh, bad in principle, like the idea of um, money gained swiftly is lost swiftly. And it's like, well, I could do this thing, make a lot of money real quick. Well, then, eh, that's unwise, you know. And these kind of things that, you know, we, we can apply a principle to. But if it's just totally open, I think we stress out way too much, honestly, about like, oh, what if I chose the wrong college and it's all messed up now? Or people do this about their spouses. They're like, what if I chose the wrong spouse? Well, got to get divorced now. No, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Um, I'm trying to get in the order I saw the hands. I'm sorry. I think you were an expert. Yes. Got excited about that. If I'm struggling with a decision, I mean, just to take an example, when I was asked to be director of women's ministry, I struggled with that for two weeks. And I just thought, Maybe not. Well, you'll need to You know, I mean, it was terrible. When I finally made the decision, then the blessing and the joy came. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and I think it was really God waiting me to, for me to use my brain 
and my emotions and my trust in his sovereignty that what I decided he was going to somehow oversee all of it. Now if you would have just decided to do the other. What? Then maybe you would have been on the side. Or maybe not. Maybe, but maybe not. Maybe not. Okay. Yeah. I want to follow the hands because we had, I think yours was next. Other things that matter. This is good. That he's he's talking about the truth of Scripture is that's what you're being guided in. The rest of the things you can make your plans and God's taking care of you, but we don't need to agonize over like what if I'm just going to screw everything up because I. You know, went to the wrong. Or we talked about to the extent that that gets carried. I mean, I grew up in a in a church that they prayed over everything. They pray over the meal they were going to have, or the restaurant they were going to eat at, and they would worry to the point that they were going to just totally grieve the Holy Spirit because they weren't so sensitive. Well, then they're sensing, they're trying to sense in an area where I don't think the Holy Spirit's speaking, and so it becomes this feeling thing, like ah, feel guilty eating the chicken cordon bleu. Um, that's, I'm, no, I'm, I'm not kidding. That's how they made decisions. It was horrid. Yeah. Ah, but then, then this is where this is where it gets really creepy. Is then people would be like, well, since I'm not feeling anything, I should go to someone really spiritual. And so then we apply this emperor's new clothes kind of mentality. That they would be like, well, this person's really spiritual, and so they'll make this decision. And I'm not kidding. People would, in the process of buying a vehicle. They would go to their pastor and say, you need to pray about this for me. So then, then they treated him like some kind of stinking pope who made all their decisions. Well, then they got really crazy then. Well, then how do you confront that person? Because, well, they're more spiritual than me. So if they're embezzling money or if they're sleeping around, um, and that was what was happening. And sin was not being confronted. And so this is, this we're talking about something that's very important. Yes, honey. Um, we've alluded to it a couple times, but I, I wanted to bring it out like when you're talking about going to liberty or Searville or taking the position of the ministry, um, bad things can happen with either of those choices. Exactly. Like you could go to liberty and something happens. You could go to Peterville and fail or whatever. And I think a lot of times we, when we hit those things, we're like, oh, I must have messed up. Kind of like when you're talking about marrying the wrong person or whatever. And I don't think that going back to this, the sovereignty issue, it doesn't mean that just because we chose this and it, it was God's will or it wasn't whatever, that everything's going to work out for us perfectly and then we just turn away and whatever. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, and that's an interesting point is people think that if I make the right decision, everything will go smoothly. It would probably be more correct to think if I make the right decision, everything is going to be really crappy for me. 
I mean, really, because in this world you will have troubles. And if you're doing the right thing, well, then the enemy fights. And that's, um, had it, I had this very conversation with somebody yesterday, and it was, I was like, he was like, this is going bad, and this is going bad. And I'm like, you're probably doing the right thing. <laughs> well, that's, that's actually very interesting. Ruth and I were talking about that earlier, that um, sometimes we have to keep in mind that, you know, we can make the right decisions and bad things can happen, but, you know, we have to remember that God's working through those things. Sometimes he lets bad things happen for a reason. Mm-hmm. You know, Ruth and I were talking about this, that some of us are survivors of some very bad things. And I think that, in, you know, God does that because there's so much bad things in the world that He needs people who survived it to help other people survive. Well, and and especially when we think of this process, that the goal, <laughs> and especially when we think about the goal in this life, is not to be comfortable. The goal is to be made in the image of Christ. And so I would I would argue, in some sense, yeah, that like, well, we we suffer not. You know, the whole goal is to be like. Christ and he suffered. So, yeah. I think the issue in all of this is to understand that God wants you to know his will a lot worse than you want to know his will. <laughs> and he's not going to hide it. He's not going to make it some secret thing that, that you know, you've got to spend hours and hours praying about the, and, and he's trying to get you to make the wrong decision and, and things. He wants you to know his will. So if you're in his word, if you're praying, if you're asking God to lead you and to guide you, and, and you are dealing with sin in your life, there's no unrepentant, overt rebellion and sin, and you are being led by the Spirit, God is going to give you the desires. So if you want to go to Liberty, go to Liberty. If you want to go to Cedarville, go there. If you want to have Mexican tonight, go there. If you want to go to Chinese or something else, you don't have to worry about, I'm, I'm out of God's will because I'm eating the wrong thing tonight. That's so. Yeah. Well, to bring up another point on that is when you, um, if you, if you're always looking for some kind of leading, well, then the things he's already spoken on clearly can be forgotten. And I, um, I brought up a point the other. I, I spoke last Sunday in the 11 o'clock um, youth ministry service, and they're doing their big sign up for life groups and then they had their move ups from the seniors that were now going to college, and it was there last Sunday. So I spoke on like joining life groups. And I said, listen, if you can be here on Wednesday night when they have life groups for the youth, then that's all you need to know. You need to sign up, like, because you need to be in a life group. You need to be discipled. And then of the other ones moving up, I was like, you don't need to pray about what you're going to do next. You need to join a life group because that's where you're going to get discipled. So there you go. And so, um, so like right then we handed out the, the form to sign up and they just all signed up. Almost all. It was pretty good. Um, because there's, there are certain things that are just simple. It's like, I need to be discipled, by the way. You need to be in a life group because that's where you're going to get discipled. That's a side note. I know, um, you know, I'm biased, but in a life group, like you can learn here in a life group, people around you will say, wait a minute, you're not applying the word of God to your life correctly. And I think this is a good way to do it. Or I'm not applying it correctly and I need you all to support me and keep me accountable. That is what life groups are about. You had a hand up. Nice, thanks. Um, By the way, next week, you're going to hear it. Yeah. Um, the only thing I want to mention we talked is that in our decision making, if even though we are seeking you know, God's guidance in any decision making, anything that, you know, being directed, and we happen not to make the best decision because maybe we're not, we don't have all knowledge we need, or we're just not making a, the best decision. God isn't going to stand there and go, Stop! You're going to run! You know? He will use that 
let you make that uh, of the wisest decisions, but still use that, and he'll still bring about his plan. He is sovereign, even over our little mistakes. This is true. Yes. Are you good? All right. Well, let's um, let's move on. That was a good one. I enjoyed that. Empowerment. The act whereby the Holy Spirit empowers and energizes the believer in the process of sanctification and usage of spiritual gifts. How much? we got a little bit of time. Uh, Galatians 5.16. I need somebody. Maybe somebody who hasn't read yet. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it's got that one. And 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. All right. Um, go ahead, Seth. Do you want to read Galatians 5.16? So I Yes. Interesting. Walking in the Spirit means you're not going to be gratifying the sinful nature, which we talked about in Romans when Paul's got this whole issue with what I want to do, I don't do, what I do, I don't want to do, wretched man that I am. And um, he's kind of communicating this idea that he, he messes up. But as, as we walk in the Spirit and let him have his way, we tend to not sin. It's pretty amazing. Yes, uh, are you ready for 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11? seem to be generally familiar with the idea of spiritual gifts, right? Um, and uh, and we've, we've already talked about how it's the Holy Spirit in us that makes those things possible to do. And these are things sometimes that you weren't good at before, but somehow Holy Spirit does this thing and you're good at. Um, was it John MacArthur talks about he was a, not a good student. He got by, but he wasn't a great student. He goes to seminary, starts studying the Word, and he's a straight-A student. Um, I think that, I would argue that that's an example of how that works, that he just makes things happen when we're operating in the Spirit. Uh, did we... Have you all taken spiritual gifts tests? Yeah. I, I used to scorn spiritual gifts tests because they're not always fully accurate and they're not. But sometimes they kind of help you understand maybe a direction a little bit. Um, kind of like when you go to the eye doctor and they've got that machine that kind of like measures your eye. And um, they say, oh, well, you're probably right around here for what kind of a lens correction you need. Um, I don't normally trust that, and they never trust that machine. They still go through the thing, but it gives them kind of a starting point to think, yeah, maybe I'll think about this. 
Um, normally, also, I should point out that you don't normally just have one. You got, you know, two or three that kind of harmonize, in my opinion. Um, I uh, I have a really good spiritual gifts test. Um, and I'm not just saying that because I use it. It's because um, it works really well. And I'm giving that to all the life group leaders. If you are interested in taking it, it doesn't take very long. It's like 20 minutes. And it's one of the best I've seen. Um, and uh, I could email it to you and you could take it. And we're actually keeping track of that in our system here at the church, picking out what everybody's spiritual gift is, putting it in the system. So if you ask to serve somewhere, we'll be like, okay, does this fit them? Or if something comes up, we can do maybe a little search to say, all right, who has the gift of teaching? All right, well, there's... Dan and Alan, because um, that's what we're looking at. We need some, but we're trying to like build up more people to be able to teach this type of class. We need more. So um, spiritual gifts test recommended. Side note. Uh, any thoughts on spiritual gifts or questions, Alan? Do you have something that maybe we didn't? We're gonna do a full study. We're gonna. Yeah. So that'll be cool. Yeah. The bottom line is the spirit empowers you to do your spiritual gifts, and it's something that you want to do. Yeah. It's not something that you don't want to do. That's a good point. Is that you enjoy doing it? You feel a sense of fulfillment when you do it, which is man. That's why teaching is cool. Yeah, I could bring it. I could print it up and bring it next week, or I could email it to everybody, and you could take it that way, whatever you prefer. Do we want to set some time aside during the class to take it, or we just want to hand it out? Yeah, I'll. Um, can you help me remember, and I'll, I'll make a note of that, and we'll. We could do that pretty easy. Um, by the way, it's Jim wrote that test, so we can use it all we want. We don't have to pay for it. Yeah. Just a question on verse three that she read, and I wondered if you could just say what you think that means. Can you read it for me again? Because I don't have it open. Oh, therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Mm. Uh, well, I would argue just, we talk about how, like, you don't naturally want to serve God or serve, you know, Christ as Lord. Um, we want to do our own thing. And so to be able to recognize Him as Lord, that only happens if you've been regenerated, if you have the Holy Spirit. In the same way, someone who has the Holy Spirit, you're not going to curse God. Um, I think that's just the, the simple fact. Um, you, if you've got, you, you cannot serve God as your Lord without the Holy Spirit. You just can't. You, you just won't. Um, but someone who curses God, or um, the opposite of that, yeah. But the Spirit of God called Jesus a curse. No one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse. So anyone who calls Jesus a curse, probably not have the Spirit. Not just probably. They're, 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 they're screwed. <laughs> yeah. And some say this might refer to um, tongues was a random problem in Corinth. And there may have been people standing up using supposedly gifted tongues, calling Jesus a curse. Mm. And uh, Paul saying, well, if you're, I don't care whether you're speaking in tongue or not, call Jesus a curse, you're not a curse yeah. That's not Holy Spirit for you. That's not God for you. Yes. In a sense, I think what that verse is saying is it's giving us discernment, I believe. Yeah. There's some discernment. In, well, obviously. Yeah. Cool. Any thoughts before we move to the next slide? The whole point here is that the Holy Spirit is one that empowers you to do the gifts. All right. Um, mention all six ministries, with some that we didn't mention today, happen at once at the moment of salvation. Uh, the first four, regeneration, baptism, and dwelling and sealing, can never be lost. The last two need daily participation by the believer. That's asking for filling and walking in the Spirit.
Making sense? We kind of talked about this along the way, but we're just kind of summing some things up there. Uh, the filling of the Holy Spirit can be lost by quenching the Spirit. Now, this does not mean you lose the indwelling, uh, but the filling. Quenching the Spirit, which is the negative aspect, we don't do something the Holy Spirit wants us to do. Uh, we have just a little bit of time. First Thessalonians 5.19. Could I have someone who has not read yet read that? Yes. And uh, Matthew 12.20. Okay, and how about let's go ahead and do Ephesians 6.16. Okay, and all right, you want to do then uh, Hebrews 11.34? Okay. All right, now, um, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.19, we ready? Okay. Do not put out the spirit fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every path of evil. Mm-hmm. Essentially, he's giving a command not to quench the spirit, which means there must be a way to do it. Otherwise, why give a command not to? How about Matthew 12, 20? A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering where he will not snuff out, so he leaves justice to victory. Is that... I, didn't, I haven't looked that one up. Is that... What was, what was the context of that, Alan? Because I didn't... The context of that was, was in terms of Christ. Christ will not quench the work of the Spirit. Oh, I, okay. I got you. All right, how about Ephesians 6.16? I'm not sure who printed here. If you printed near somebody who's saying it. Go for it. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the very nerves of the wicked. Which gives the idea that we can quench the enemy's attack, and we shouldn't quench the Holy Spirit's. Hebrews 11.34 then. Quench the fury of the flame and escape the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and rallied foreign armies. Okay. I don't remember the context of that one. Cool. Alright. The idea of quenching here is that you the spirit is leading you and you put cold water on that's the idea. The Spirit is leading you to do something, you know that's His will, and because of sin or because of some choice of yours, you dump cold water on yeah. And that's something that that causes the Spirit to yeah. A side note on quenching the Holy Spirit, uh, that uh, we were, we've been talking about the filling of the Holy Spirit and how that involves us, uh, like, you know, him giving us some direction on certain principles of Scripture and other things. And there are certain things that are just open. You know, like, you know, what college I'm going to go to, really open decision. Um, according to the Holy Spirit, I would say my opinion, this is a side note, this is my opinion, is uh, people do this when, when sometimes when God is working with something good is happening, uh, people are like, ah, but da-da-da-da, that won't work. Um, Honestly, I have, a, I have a nerve on this with life groups because everybody's like, well, you hear people say, well, that's not going to work because it hasn't yet. And I'm like, well, it has to work because we just we have to make disciples. So if you're not going to get on that, please don't quench the spirit. Just get out of the way. Um, I'm becoming more harsh. You guys keep me accountable. Uh, filling the Holy Spirit can be lost by grieving the spirit. Uh, this is in a positive aspect. We do something the Spirit does not want us to do. Could someone read Ephesians 4.30? Ephesians 4.30. Yeah, honey, go for it. Uh, 
That's all right. You can you can look it up. Do not bring uh, grief to him by the way that we live, which means don't do something or some things that he doesn't want us to do. Um, that's good. If we quench and grieve the Holy Spirit over a long period of time, we may be subject to God's severest discipline, which is death. Uh, yeah, that's not good news. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I think he can do this. I think he can remove someone from the world because they're not necessarily being effective. Yeah. Can unbelievers do any of that? No. Oh, you mean quench the spirit? They don't have them to quench. Yeah. Yeah. They're in a they're in a whole different league with that. Um, but yeah, it's a good question. Um, being filled with the Spirit, we will have the following blessings evident in our lives. Our lives. Sorry, the Holy Spirit will pray for us. Uh, I talked about that in Romans 8.26. The Holy Spirit will guide us, um, which we've mentioned a little bit earlier. The Holy Spirit will teach us, which we've also spoken of before. And the Holy Spirit will empower our witness to the lost. Um, this is good stuff. You know what? Let's, uh, let's go ahead and read Acts 1.8. We'll maybe work these backwards. See how many slides I have here so I can make sure we're on track. We're good. Acts 1 8. Who has Acts 1 8 for me? Go for it. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes out and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Which, by the way, interesting pattern we see in the book of Acts. First of all, Jesus is telling them that, that this is going to happen when, they, when the Holy Spirit empowers them, they're going to be witnesses. But we see this pattern in the book of Acts where God's people get together and pray. And the gospel is preached. People come to Christ. And then God's people get thrown in prison. And then they pray again. And the gospel is, the Holy Spirit shows up. Then the gospel is preached. People come to Christ. People get thrown in prison. It's a great cycle in the book of Acts. I love it. Um, which, by the way, I, this is talking about principle in Scripture. I think this is a good principle to be like, man, there needs to be unified prayer. Uh, and that, then the Holy Spirit shows up and then the gospel is preached. And if, if there's not unified prayer, then we should be kind of asking some questions. Like, well, maybe we need to be praying. And then if the gospel is not being spoken with clarity, well, then we also need to be asking some questions. Um, and these kind of things we should keep a rate up about. Um, how much detail did you go through these before? I don't know. None. All right. Let's 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 go back then to Romans 8:26. Let's just go ahead and, and run these down. Let's get somebody to take Romans 8:26. Somebody who hasn't. I got it. You got it. All right. Somebody take John 16:13. Thank you. First uh, John 2:27. Okay. And then in the next one, uh, we need a Romans 5:5. 5, 5. All right. And uh, do you want to take then 2 Corinthians 3.18? And would you like to take Ephesians 3.16? And then somebody take 1 Corinthians 2.10. Yes, perfect. All right, let's... Um, where is the backspace on here? Up on the right? I'm not doing it. This is me not knowing how to use a Mac. Page up will work too. Perfect. All right. Uh, let's look at our Romans 8.26. The Holy Spirit will pray for us. One of the benefits being... the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray, but 
Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. It's good news, isn't it? The Holy Spirit knows how to pray for us better than we do. It gives me some relief. Yeah. I had an interesting conversation with somebody who was talking about uh, struggling with this idea of like I'm praying to my Savior who is, who is my Lord and but Jesus also wants to be my friend and talking about that issue of like it's hard to know what to say in that context because this is my Lord he's also my friend but he's Lord and uh, I thought that was an interesting thing but yeah, it's nice the Holy Spirit's making sure we say the right things or that he's actually saying other things that we're not even saying uh, how about John 16, 13 who is that? go ahead Mm-hmm. That's good news. Which, by the way, if um, this is what it points out, if someone says they have the Holy Spirit and they are doing things that are contrary to Scripture, it's very clear to be like, "Huh, you don't have it." This is why I'm like Brian McLaren doesn't have it. Um, I hope that's not too harsh, but he's speaking to false doctrine. Um, Holy Spirit will teach us. First John two twenty seven. As for you, the anointing you receive from Him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. That as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real and not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Mm-hmm. God is in truth and teach us. Alright, we already looked at Acts 1.8, so let's move on. Any thoughts though? I know these are, these are pretty straightforward, so if there are questions, please do ask. Um, Romans 5.5. 5. And hope does not disappoint us because God has put out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit and he has given us. Mm. Talks about specifically about the Holy Spirit pouring out God's love. Uh, that's good news. Um, I love that hope does not disappoint thing. We have a whole different kind of hope. When we mention hope in the scriptural context, it means this is going to happen and that's why we're happy. Not like, mm, crossing the fingers and hope it happens. Um, 2 Corinthians 3.18 and we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is in the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Good news. Being made in the image of Christ. Ephesians 3.16 I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit will strengthen us in the new nature, allowing us to please God. I know these are very straightforward. We're just kind of going through and reviewing and backing it up with Scripture. Hopefully, if there are questions, please do ask. But it is kind of like, uh, He pours out God's love in us. Yay! Just straightforward. Um, last, 1 Corinthians 2.10. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit will reveal biblical truth to us so we can understand it. Uh, good news. Any thoughts or questions on this? Oh, we got another one on here? Oh, my goodness. Last one. Oh, we're running out of time. Um, could I have, real quick then, somebody do Romans 8.16? Have I, have I read everybody out? Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.17. And let's do Mark 13. Oh, is that supposed to be 13.11? Okay, not 13 and 11. All right. Uh, you want to do that one? All right. The Holy Spirit will bring us assurance of salvation. Romans eight sixteen. For the Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us that we are special. Hmm. That's really good news for the doubter, by the way. Uh, not that if you doubt, it means you're just totally 
son of perdition, but it means that, that there is hope of being assured. Um, by the way, experiencing doubt, please do talk about that. We could deal with that. Um, Holy Spirit brings us liberty. Uh, did, did we do first, Second Corinthians 3.17, right? We decided to do that one? Yeah. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit is, the Lord is. There is freedom. Mm-hmm. The Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. Which I, I would argue then that when, when you're operating in the Spirit, you get to do what you want to do. And it's, it's an easy way. We talked about making decisions in that context, that the Holy Spirit's moving through you. And so you, it's like, well, you know, how do you please the Spirit? Well, what do you want to do? If you're operating in the Spirit, it's, it's going to be what you want to do, which I believe plays in with that delight in the Lord. He will give you desires of your heart. If you're delighting in Him, your desires are going to be His desires. Um, last one, Mark 13, 11. This is comforting in, in situations. I've been in this situation where ah, you're, you, somebody's going to ask you a question. You're like, what if I'm saying the wrong thing or I'm witnessing or somebody's attacking the faith and you want to be able to say the right thing? And he, he guides us if we're open and listening to it. That's good news. All right. Um, any closing thoughts or questions? Yeah. Did have this top college of Cedarville actually made one of the categories for liberty did not. Oh wow. <laughs> Good to know. Quite a category most liberal Christian colleges. Uh, maybe so, yeah. That's right, yeah. Which, you know, we could argue, if we're going to talk about Scripture backing up a college, that one, I mean, you know, you're going on U.S. News and World Report, you know, but... Yeah. Well, hey, let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Was that a hand, Pam? No. Okay. Let's close in prayer. Father, I want to thank You for Your Word. I thank You that uh, You don't leave us hanging. You make everything so clear that we need to know. And God, if you have not clearly revealed it, it's probably because it's something we don't necessarily need to know. And God, I pray that in those things where you haven't revealed, um, you allow us to make decisions and you direct our step in that process. God, there's just so much relief in that. Just the knowledge that you are in control and that you are strengthening us and, and that even bad things that happen, God, you're in control and you're working things out to your glory and for our good. So, God, I just pray that you would work through us this week. I am asking um, that you would do a great work in our church, in this class, um, but also in this church. We are, we are endeavoring to understand you. God, I pray that not just understanding intellectually, but we would apply the truth of God to our lives as the Holy Spirit illuminates that truth to us and convicts us and empowers us to live it. Uh, God, we are asking that there would be radical changes in the way that people live their lives, positive changes, um, where we start applying the truth of God in every way in our lives. I pray that you would be glorified, and I am, I am asking that, um, that we would just see great things happen as a result of us serving you and your Holy Spirit working. Be glorified in us, be glorified in us in this church, and um, I pray that you would just continue to use us for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Have a great week.